you know, that'll be about the time it'll we'll stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> this show is not for the easily offended. So if you are easily offended, go listen to something else. nothing in the tank so this is new yeah this if this goes up next week it'll be the newest of of new coming out like a new era yeah like real really uh a new really season of fire current all right a nice. new season that starts every halloween when we have our anniversary oh. episode mm-hmm. oh that's a good one steve halloween's the beginning of each new season for us it's the renewal this we rise from the grave. Wow. Welcome back, you listeners. You don't have to rise from the grave to get great discounts. <laughs> Just call 555-SU1. <laughs> don't delay. Call today. Indie Comic Book Noise, episode 492. We have started. Thanks to host Super Steve, we are launching into a new season, a new year, bright, fresh-faced future for the four hosts of the podcast with the most cast. No, I don't. I don't have a word that rhymes with podcast, but you know what time it is. It's Indie Comic Book Noise time. Indie Comic Book Noise is part of the Deliberate Noise Network, and this time we have all four hosts in the house. Starting with our northernmost, dialing in from the Arctic Circle. From the, what are we, the icebox? Icebox. Ice box. We're getting to that time of year. It's WWX Kev. Say hi, Kev. <laughs> uh, you know that's one of the, the things you can fill in with um, podcasts, right? To, to denote what season it is. Can no you idea. see the northern lights? Put <laughs> <laughs> those somewhere else. And that was the dulcet tones of Super Steve from the bunker. Say hi, Super Steve. Uh, what about Bombast or Comcast? Does that rhyme with podcast? I think that's a Marvel character, Steve. Nice try, though. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta represent. And not to be forgotten, from the nation's capital and the fully fortified Otter's Den, Phil the Ottawa Otter. Say hi, Phil. I'm not muted. Am I muted? <laughs> no, we can hear you. You're coming in loud and clear. I'm going to do better this episode. <laughs> I'm me, Andrew Daly. I was trying out a new bit. Indie Comic Book Noise can be found on the internet at IndieComicBookNoise.com. You can listen to old shows. You can check out show notes. I sometimes put links in. You can find all kinds of crazy facts and figures or just continuing with whatever podcatcher you are currently using. As you heard from the beginning of the show, we do sometimes have adult themes and language. But as I always say, we don't really ever say anything controversial. Should I disclaim your uh, disclaimer, Andrew? Well, if you feel it's appropriate. 
with uh, maybe some crazy out there controversial thing that we might say or not say. I know it might not represent us. Uh, I don't think we have uh, strong opinions on Garfield. Hmm. Yes, the classic indie comic book character Garfield. <laughs> After nine hundred uh, syndicated newspapers, uh, how many best-selling books? TV shows and movies. Who can forget? Yeah. Well, Marmaduke, that's another story. But what about Heathcliff? I watched those trailers yesterday. Oh, no, sorry. It was Clifford. That's what I watched. <laughs> <laughs> I read those too. <laughs> As you can tell, Indie Comic Book Noise, for those unfamiliar, is a free flowing discussion where the four hosts can bring up anything and everything. As long as it's not exclusively Big Two. You try. But the weird thing is, as a result, what perversely counts as indie is some of the largest properties in the world. <laughs> so, But it can also include like uh, your little homemade comic you made that you just showed to your buddies. Or maybe you put oh. up on the internet. Yeah. I mean, but it's just funny that indie, you know, sometimes has this slang for like, cool or underground when really there's loads of indie stuff that's like multi-million dollar properties or whatever we don't discriminate all right boys how we f- i have some news if you guys are interested oh, I love oh yeah. wow what uh, what asshole has two thumbs and is going to san diego special edition oh no i'm going i'm doing it guys i'm pulling the trigger i'm gonna wow. do a one day I paid a outrageous price, <laughs> an outrageous price, for the privilege of getting a rare mm-hmm. exotic variant version of COVID at the San Diego well, Special I, Edition. <laughs> I heard the parking uh, is even more outrageous than the tickets. Well, I am being smart. Hope he doesn't object to my uh, shameless name dropping, but I am making about half the journey down. And uh, Bob Breetall, uh Guinness Records uh, comic book holder. Oh. I'm going to go to his place, and then he's going to let me tag along with him the rest of the way. It just wow, it's, it's, it's a long haul. You're going to be our con man on the scene once again. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's a it's a long drive through a lot. I mean, all it's all it's a just long to get to him, much less to San Diego. But that way, I mean, I get up early, get to his place. He can take us down. We'll hang out, see the show, have a big dinner, go back, and then I got a long <laughs> from his house, a long drive home. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm nervous. Steve, how you? Uh, for those of you that don't know, Steve went to the Baltimore Comic Con. How did yeah, it go? It awesome. How did you feel? Were you nervous? Was it a problem? Were what? What were there any hiccups? The, ru- the rules there were you needed to show proof of vaccination for a negative test within the last like 72 hours plus wear a mask inside that this uh, is mask wearing so with the those both of those factors it not being an either or but a both um i felt pretty comfortable once we were inside the place that everyone was pretty cool you know in, in good shape who was in there um it was slow letting people the best thing in mask, though you can't smell the con parts yeah, well, that's the funny thing. Everyone talks about the, like, you know, no comic crud. Isn't that a nice um, 
uh, byproduct of the safety measures or whatever. But they kept the aisles big and wider, a lot of open space on the periphery. I think expecting mm-hmm. fewer people um, was part of that setup too, just having it be a little sparser. But there were thousands of people outside who couldn't get in on Saturday just because of the bottlenecking, because of the testing mm-hmm. stuff on the way in. Um, it was wrapped around the block and down the block and around where like the end of the line was near the beginning of the line and it was going around the convention center and they had, they had problems. So, um, but it was nice being out, nice being in a crowd, nice song, looking at art. It was fun. Well, I'm not going to lie. I am a little concerned about the whole process. Although I will say tickets were available fairly recently. Their show is over American Thanksgiving, which I think is contributing to some of the decline. Also, my understanding is not a large Hollywood presence, which is going to depress turnout, which is fine with me. I mean, even a depressed San Diego is a robust show. Like, this isn't like the dirt shows I'm used to rubbing elbow with. I I never felt like I was in a crowd, and and you certainly will there. And and I think because of COVID, you'll see a lot of the Hollywood stuff, like they just do their own online thing now, you know. I'm yeah, I know DC probably. has that fandom business. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they found other avenues for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the joke about San Diego with no Hollywood and no comics. What are they going to have at the show? Hey, comics again—that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> They're having the Albany Comic Book Show again, and it's wow. at a different location that's even closer than the 20 minutes that it used to be. Now it's like 10 minutes away from where I live. <laughs> And uh, there's some good guys that are going to be there, plus uh, a bunch of friends and acquaintances that I'm looking forward to seeing. So that'll be a nice, mellow thing uh, this uh, Sunday, right? So old school show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say, the logistics of the the requirements to get in. I mean, I figure I can just tell them I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, right? That's like <laughs> as good as getting vaccinated. Yeah, you and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> a little uh, topical humor to force Andy to edit the show hurry but anyways yeah that's my plan i am gonna go down i am nervous i know steve has done a show kevin but kevin's yeah. on the other side of the aisle so those people yeah. always get special treatment it's a little different <laughs> i mean it's a little different when you when you come in early there's not that many people and then you're not like hiding but and canada shows behind the table. canada shows are more like flea markets I don't really have the shows like you guys. Yeah, have. unless you go to a big show, yeah, it is more like that. And I think our requirements are usually stronger to get into the show. So, well, I am uh, fully vaxxed and excited. Just the process is a little. You don't uh, know that till you show us proof. Yeah. Well, also, I'm not used to socializing, so I have forgotten. I know, COVID was basic for me. I'm keeping a list of. Important things like, you know, keep your mouth closed, remember uh, to talk to other humans, wear pants, you know, the important things I need to remember when I leave the house. So I'm, but, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll see people you haven't seen. No, you don't need pants anymore. Just wear your mask. <laughs> no one will know who you are. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to see Bob and some other people. Kind of excited. Don't know what kind of show it's going to be, but eh, why not? You know what I mean? What's the worst sure. happen? I get COVID and well, die. Oh, wait. You're going to pick up some <laughs> indie comics, hopefully? Yeah, I would assume 
I'm going to be able to see more. It's hard to know what... I, I really didn't do the kind of normal prep and research I would for a show like this. But it's yeah. just the one day. And it's more just about getting back into the mix of it. Seeing yep. some stuff. I love those big shows. They always have a lot of original art. And no, I don't buy any of it, people. It's, yeah. it's just fun to flip through the big portfolios and look at all these Kirby pages and be like, yeah, there's no way. But they're fun to look at. At San, at San Diego, do you get like the small indie guys, or is it too expensive for them to even get a table there? A bunch of them, the there are the long standing ones that got in a long time ago and kept their table up mm-hmm. are still there. Like it's one of those mm-hmm. things. If you got in before comics got hot, like you went got your table in like two thousand and one or whatever and kept it, you're in with gravy. You know what I mean? Like. When we first started going in the early aughts, you could still buy tickets same day. Like it really, I mean, it was still popular, but it really just went nuts. So in the last, I'd say 15 years or so, like it's some, I always associate it. This might be wrong with like Twilight, like suddenly. Okay. We were there. Uh, Those are the movies about vampires and werewolves. Yeah. Girl falls in love with them or something. But it seemed like. Suddenly, that that is like my mental time marker. So whenever those things came out, I don't know. Kevin is Team Jacob, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I guess Phil does. <laughs> oh, no. I found it myself. <laughs> I tried watching one of the movies, but the special effects were so bad, I got visibly angry. Because I feel like they took advantage of the fan base. Was that the only thing you didn't like about the movie? Because I feel like they knew they had this hardcore group of fans. So instead of treating them right and spending money on making a nice looking movie, they cheaped out because they knew they could. Because when you have that kind of fan base, you know, it's like, you know, you can not spend a lot of money and they're going to show up. Because it was one of the later ones and it looked like such an obvious cheap set. They were, And I was just like, this isn't right. How dare you treat, you know, these these people love this thing. And like. You're just going to cut every corner you can because you know they'll show up for it. And there's also an end point. Like, she only wrote however many books she wrote. You know what I mean? And so once you get that last movie out, you're done. That you even know that the author is a she puts you on a different level than I yeah, have with this stuff for really sure. You really outed yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, I mean, I haven't, I, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't read the books. I haven't, I don't really. At this yeah, point, yeah. it's much more nonfiction for regular books, and they almost have to be about comic books most of the time, or, <laughs> or something. Or if there was like a comic non-fictional book version, books about fictional things. Yeah, <laughs> if they're about Stan Lee. He'll read like twenty-five of biographies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, if someone was like, "Oh, Andy, here's the comic book version of Twilight. It's really good. It's got, you know, a cover by." Uh, Bill Sinkevich or something. Why wouldn't <laughs> and I? Scott Campbell. Yeah. And it's got interiors by Franca Francavia or something. <laughs> like I wouldn't read that. I mean, I, let me tell you, I've read a lot worse. <laughs> or maybe, you know, they uncovered, they were waiting, you know, because he hadn't finished it. So they had to find someone to finish it. But maybe Steve Ditko adapted one of the Twilight books. You know, I'd be all over that. I got one you should read. 
All right. It's there's three issues so far. Um, so it's current in 2021 here. It's from AWA Upshot. Those guys. And by Mark Russell, who uh, hit the comic scene with the like revitalization of DC's The Prez and the Flintstones. <laughs> I like the Flintstones, actually. <laughs> and the uh, Fantastic Four life story that I don't like at all. And Second second Coming? Was that what it was? Uh, no. Hoy oh, yeah. Yep, yep Second Coming. And like that Snagglepuss thing, too, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Snagglepuss. Didn't the people like the Snagglepuss one? It, yes, very so. much. I thought that did really well. And the art by Mike Diodato. You know, uh, it was the artist on uh, Glory from Image, among some other things. <laughs> <laughs> but this it's called Not All Robots. Right. And I recommend this book uh, so far for sure. Uh, you guys, uh, each of you, I know, would enjoy it. In well, your own a, lot, a lot of us have been definitely experimenting with Upshot lately. They've got some good creators involved. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a tale that's told like 35 years in the future. So things are more advanced, uh, but it's still, you know, people are still the people that you kind of know, right? And in the future, every family has a house bot, like a robot. But the robot's got artificial intelligence such that they can go and be employed in your stead and do your work for you and contribute to society for you. And you make the money and you can be home with your family and doing other things that sounds awesome. Tell me more. Right. I I think a robot could do my job now. (laughs) (laughs) So like, almost like that surrogates thing, but that was only like, Basically, people with money could get a surrogate. But now I'm picturing us all looking like the people from Wally. Already there, right? Um, but they, the robots are very, you know, um, humanoid type. Even though they don't look like people, they still look like you know a regular, you know, like a bender kind of robot. You know, oh, yeah. Um, and they go to work. They put up with all the crap, all the nine to five garbage, you know, the telephone calls, the meetings, the everything. They, they come home and need to relax and unwind and all that. Um, so like resentment starts developing in both directions. Like you, the men, the, the people start feeling like they're no longer kind of in control and the robots kind of are resentful of the humans that they're doing all the work for and as things start getting more tense in a very underground cultural kind of a way not on the surface at all um robots suffocate the entire populace of a city by messing up the airflow and you know they control the air we breathe literally and was it an accident as they said um and just a malfunction or was it you know, a warning like, hey, we control you. We control your air. Robots start meeting in secret. They're building like melee hand to hand weapons. It's like it looks like they're building towards there's going to be like a robot revolution. But the focus of the story is all on one family and its bot and how these developments 
take place and start affecting the dynamic between the two. He's trying to decide whether he's all in on the revolution thing and or is, you know, does he actually um, you know, care for the humans that he's taking care of? It's 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 very entertaining so far. There's little bits of humorous play that I'm calling situation comedy, but it's not as we think of American sitcoms. It's not that kind of canned humor. Uh, it's clever so far. And, and Diodato's work is so dark that it's uh, moody. It's really good. Not all robots. I don't know how long it's going to be, but there's been three issues out so far. Usually they're about five issues. Their stories. Yeah. You reading this digitally, Steve? I am. I had a feeling. Because when you mentioned his artwork was dark, I'm like, I bet you that doesn't print well. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you Steve's reading that digitally. (laughs) Yeah, Upshot is, uh, I find they're either hit or miss with me. Sometimes I hate it, sometimes I like it a lot. Yeah, You know, it's it's like Axel Alonso is one of the editors there, and I think that's the Mike Diodato connection. Mm Mm-hmm. The JMS doesn't doesn't have enough sway. <laughs> Didn't he do Dark Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. He's a lot of stuff for Marvel. Alright, do you guys want like a, a thumbs up book or a thumbs sideways book? Mm, sideways. I feel like we're too positive on this show. Well, <laughs> I'm about to set reset the thermometer on that one, Phil. From the House of Boom, I decided to take my chance on the new book House of Laughter number one. Oh, from the I world of thought Sla- you were going to say House of Slaughter. I did. It is House of Slaughter. So okay. <laughs> uh, you guys. Oh, House of Slaughter. Yeah, you guys I have think been. I picked that up. Have been big upping, as the kids say. The something is killing the children. So this is hmm. from the same. Yes, this world. is yeah. That's right. The tie-in. Yeah, yeah, and I was like. Oh, this is nice. I, I like to just jump right in feet first in this. And well, I, I think like, you were looking for the next book that has a massive print run, and you were like, House of Laughter, that's the one. Oh, let me tell you something. On the inside back cover, it just lists all the retailers, like 50 <laughs> retailer exclusive <laughs> covers. They don't, they don't have enough room to show even postage stamp size of it's just a list printing out all these different... It is bananas. I'm sure that's why the guy had a stack of them at the store, but what do I care? You know, it's just a comic book. I can have a mm-hmm. good time with it. It doesn't matter. And I thought it started out really great. Like, I don't know anything about this Something's Killing the Children, except what we've covered on the show, about how it's some it's kind of monster that's killing children. Basically about yeah. something that's killing children. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. something is killing the children. And... There's a Buffy girl running around. Yeah, so in the beginning, it's pretty cool. It's this, uh, looks like a Governor Rich Piggy type character in a suit, wearing the mask with the teeth on it, chasing a creature like a little deer and then lets it go. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, I get this, and it seems like kind of a dangerous game sort of thing. Like, even though the deer is there, there's the implication that He's either been hunted or hunted people or, you know, the kind of tropes we all dig, but I don't know the specifics and that's what I'm vibing on. But then four pages in, it does my least favorite 15 years earlier. (laughs) So 
we get to see how this guy started out in the troop learning how to hunt and kill and everything. And it just really took a bit of the wind out of myself. It's not only because Flash and Mac, but it really started filling in all the holes. And that's probably the my least favorite thing about genre fiction. Like, we've all read every variation of, like, monsters and humans hunting humans and humans hunting monsters. Like, you don't need to, like, show us 99.9% of the world. Like, you can show us small amounts and make it crazy and think, weird. I think that's your fault for getting the tie-in, though. Yeah, I know, but yeah, I thought it was going to be weird. kind of things, like, that's how it goes, right? Like, it's an origin story of one of the characters or something like that. Yeah, that, that I thought this was more focused on that those types of stories than the main book. Yeah, well, those sort of stories are boring. How was I supposed to know? I thought it would be, <laughs> like, a cool setting, and but it, uh, give the credits where it's due. James Tinian IV, Tate Brombell. I, I'm wondering, because the script is by Tate Brombell, but the story is by James Tinian IV, I wonder if that's him just keeping his finger in the pie so when they make this a Netflix thing or whatever, he's getting uh, cleaning up. Uh, Christian, Mikel Muerto for colors, and World Design is the letter. Not familiar mm-hmm. with and World Design. No. But I thought it's it's his thing so that he would want to be involved in all manners of it. Yeah, I guess. Especially if it's getting a TV series. I just, it was weird that it's like story by, but no script input always makes me think like, okay, yeah, just tell how this guy got to where he is. Okay. You're you're saying he's Stan Lee did or something? That was, uh, that's what I always assume. That's probably not fair because of my long association of hanging out with Stan Lee. But oh, also, okay. so there's he, no script he, credit either. Like, what is this He story? called someone up and was like, this issue, we're going to have this House of Slaughter origin story. You yeah. make up the guy's name. No, they obviously, it's Jace, Jace, for those of you that are fans of the thing. I guess I should have said, his name isn't Governor Rich Piggy. I stole that. I remember I stole that from Spain or from Gilbert Shelton. I always like that name as like a stand-in for any sort of upper-crust person. Hmm. Uh, so anyways, uh, I, very, I will say artwork has that moody feel that lends itself to the horror where there isn't a lot of specific detail on the page. The colorist gets to do a lot of the fun heavy lifting with the shaded coloring. Yeah, it's the same crew as the main in book, I, I like it. I think it suits it well. Oh, is it? I don't know. I just felt like, oh, this is really nice. It's, um, I'm not familiar with Christian or Mikel Muerto, but they work well together. But if you want something with a lot of fiddly detail, this <laughs> is not the book for you. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. You know, I can uh, tell the characters apart, even though a lot of times they're wearing masks, which always makes it, you know, a little bit harder. And they're wearing masks that are Kind of like bandana-style masks. I mean, sometimes they have the smiley face design on them, but they're not masks like Batman or Lone Ranger. And, uh, yeah, so I guess if you're a fan of the Jace character, you would want this. If you're a fan of, like, weird mysteries and don't know what's going on, you can skip this one. Well, I would say just get the main and skip this one. Yeah, I guess that's probably what I should have done. But I was like, hey, 
Look at this. I guess I didn't notice that something is killing the children. At first it was like, House of Slaughter, number one. Whoa, that's pretty metal, as the kids say. And then, you know, boom. I haven't read a boom book in a minute. I mean, I know they have a lot of hits. I feel like I used to read more boom. I don't know. Maybe I used to read tons of boom. Oh, you became all elitist. Once they became popular, you were like, I'm out. Well, I was just thinking maybe it's more of a boom and bust cycle with me. <laughs> no, it's just they stopped doing so many originals, so there was less to get. There's right? a lot of originals. But not, yeah, not like Power to. Rangers. That's not original enough for yeah. you. Are you saying booms like IDW? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I used to buy tons of books from both of those companies. Now it's like it's really slim. Well, they got big titles. I don't know. They got Berserker. That's a big one. Yeah. I'm because not something that is one. killing the children. And the spinoff. <laughs> yeah. We we all find them when no, we all find them when they're dead. We only find them when they're dead. Sometimes you guys talk about books that I bought, like that one, and then I just end up putting it in the pile and don't bother reading it because you guys made it sound so bad. Phil, well, if I, can, if I can figure out customs, Phil, I will be sending you those uh, bunny mask issues. <laughs> I feel so yeah. bad I talked you out of it. Yeah, that's getting, getting dizzy. Do you, do you, are you familiar with uh, with that uh, franchise? No. Regarding the matter of Oswald's body, how, how about that one? Nope. What, are these all boom titles? <laughs> these are, these are all boom. I'm testing your uh, if you uh, if any of these have popped out popped in your your uh, circles as it is. Uh, the Many Deaths of uh, Live a Star. No. Boom used to do great horror comics. I used to love their horror comics. Uh, Ma, uh, I believe that's also a, a sort of horror comic, isn't it? I don't know that one. Uh, Eat the Rich. That, that definitely sounds like some kind of horror thing. Um, Dark Blood. Uh, Once in Future. I, I covered the first issue of that. I also bought the first trade recently. Uh, Mammo? None of these are ringing nope. any. I've heard of Buffy. <laughs> you've heard of, yeah, you've heard of all the franchises like Dude. Firefly, uh, Buffy, Angel. See, that's Magic. the problem. Got Power Rangers. Garfield. The good, old, the good old days of Boom were Adventure Time and Regular Show, and those were good yeah. comics. Oh, yeah, I Adventure thought, Time. I thought the yeah, good old days was Talent... Uh, two guns, three guns. Yeah. Uh, um, no, the good old days was when they had their six, no six guns. When they had their Stan Lee series. No, well, that's, no that's only that was only. That's right. They made, didn't the, they make a movie out of two two guns? I mean, there's yeah, yeah one like that. Yeah. Just one of the two guns. The Traveler, Soldier Zero, Starborn. Oh, all those Stan Lee books. Yeah, those were the you good guys old read. days. You guys read a lot of indie comics. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing we're on here, then. All right. Let's, I mean, let's... someone's going to think we're parenting. Well, something uh, came in the mail, and I feel like I'm all indied up in here now. Uh, one day, at the door, there was this weird brown, heavy paper bag. <laughs> paper bag doesn't really sell it. It's like a paper bag, but it was tough. If it's on fire, don't step on it. <laughs> I would have been disappointed. Uh, and in there came my TCAP order. 
Oh, nice. All of them, or are you still waiting? No, I, I, I was getting, like, refunds for, like, four months. Like, there would be a printer mishap, or some book wasn't going to come out, or it wasn't going to hit the date when I order was going to ship, or whatever. So, like, I sometimes I would get, like, $4 or something, and I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm not getting that book now. So, basically, you got 15 pounds of Michael DeForge. <laughs> I don't think one of these was any Michael DeForge. I don't remember if I ordered any. I would have to check the original order. But yeah, so I got a whole stack of stuff. And then, you know, some of the stuff comes in and you're like, I guess this is what I... Like, yeah, I never went to really check back because I don't really remember at this point. Maybe I should have, right? But you get these giant, like, newspaper things and then you get these small mini comics. You get some stuff with spines. You get some uh, Jesse Jacobs stuff. You know, a bunch of good stuff. I hope. I know it was, it was a little. I, I I don't know what episode that was, but I remember five months ago, maybe six months ago, uh, going into all the details about how uh, curious it was and uh, weird it was trying to order TCAP books online. Which I guess maybe we'll do it again next year because I don't know if they'll have enough time to plan for the next one. So but, have, you, uh, have you read any of these yet? Or no? I have. I read two of them. All right. Pick one. But, the, you know, the thing was, you had feelings about, oh, my God, I can't believe there is no <laughs> cutoff point. But I don't know if you could. But then the other thing is, hey, when's the next TCAP? So yeah. I can wait for some mini comics. So one of the things, you know, I always look for, you know, like space comics with the Europa or... Uh, Saturn or Jupiter <laughs> or something like that was one of the things like if you have that on your on your comics I'm coming over to your ta- table and checking out your comics guess what one of the other things is cats <laughs> I mean you are correct but that's not what I was looking for <laughs> if it's like a 60s Spider-Man cartoon if I can make that reference hey that looks like a 60s Spider-Man cartoon so one of those things is like woolly mammoths <laughs> Because it's, it's that cartoon where Spider-Man gets knocked out and then he wakes up and he thinks he's like, like things have really changed in the time. He's he, like, he's a, a, apparently woken up and he's like, oh, man, well, the manless are everywhere now. So that's one of those check boxes, I guess. I'm like, I'm checking that out. I hate that dream. <laughs> great episode, though. Well, maybe great is stretching it, but, you know. It's a it's a ruined New York City with woolly mammoths. <laughs> That's memorable, all right. I mean, what more do you want out of that cartoon? Night scientists, floating islands. <laughs> Anyhow, this is uh, the logo is a little little hard to uh, to read on first uh, first glance, uh, but this is transmissions from uh, Dreamtown, Volume Three. Maybe I should have picked all four volumes. I think there was four available. And I was just like, I don't know. But probably the other ones didn't look as exciting, right? So this is by uh, Isaac Roller. And then at the back it says, uh, Guest artwork by the talented cartoonist Tim Bullard. Don't know why that would, his name wouldn't be on the cover, but anyhow. 
Oh, these are always my favorite for show notes. Andy has to scramble through and try and find some reference to this book somewhere. I I accept the challenge. Tell me why. <laughs> Tell me why volume three, Kevin. What's what's happening? Well, it's kind of in the vein, in a way, of um, oh, what's that? No, no, I'm not not proven. What was the what was that um, image comic series with with all the cryptids and everything? It was Riley Rosmo. Oh, the name is escaping me. Department, uh, no. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, there was one story in there where there was, like, some dinosaur in Africa or something, and then, like, people were, like, like eating it as a delicacy type of thing. This sort of, sort of has, like, that vibe to it. There was also that, I, that Action Lab book about that. about oh. the, That Phil liked so much about the chef that was cooking the dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean... Whenever that comes up, I love that. Like, whatever it is, like, you find some weird thing. It's like it could be, I don't know, it's an alien, it's whatever. And then they're just like, oh, man, this is going to be the greatest ever, right? So it sort of has that that type of thing uh, going for it, where there's like an ivory emporium. Sorry, proof. before were you talking about proof? Yeah, yeah. I was, just I was also talking for you, Phil. Voracious. That remember that one about? Yeah, the, no, that's. Oh that's yeah, about the chef that used the time machine to cook dinosaurs from Action Lab. Anyways, that's right. On. All right, Phil set us straight. So yeah, they go into like how there's there's no more woolly mammoths around, but uh, you know there's just the tusks. So they have like a whole rebranding exercise because these dudes come into this uh, store and it's like, ivory is murder. Elephants are people too. And then it's like, you need to, like, to rebrand it so that people will get excited in it again. But you go to this uh, this northern area where there there's another dude uh, finds like these tusks sticking out of the ground. But what they don't realize is, like, the animals, like, underneath, too. So this one dude uh, happens to fall uh, beneath the ground here, and he gets, like, stuck down there. And he's like, I can't get out. But he has a saw with him. <laughs> because, like he, this movie. because he was a restaurant owner. And then people would just, like, suddenly leave. And he'd be like, no more free food for your people, et cetera, et cetera. So he's just like, well, he's not going to die from like starving if uh, he has a mammoth right beside him, right? Like he's going to cut himself a piece out, uh, you know, cook it up, and then they they well, as they start pulling the tusks out, uh, that like the ceiling's going to collapse. So he's just like, well, I might as well hack another piece out and like take it with me. What <laughs> is hysterical? And some of these parts is I don't know if some of these panels like line up proportionally as well. Like someone might find it like troublesome, like when things don't line up. But in this, I just find it more hilarious and charming that when I look at the woolly mammoth in one scene and another scene, I'm like, 
I don't know. It looks like too much of his tusks is below the ground now rather than above ground or like he's carrying this this piece of meat. Funny, second episode in a row with the well, it's in the episode title for the previous episode that I referenced the the raw meat in the wall. So it's funny that there's there's raw meat in this comic. But he's like carrying this giant piece of meat, but then later on it's like strapped to the roof of a car. So I'm like looking from panel to panel going, I don't know if these proportions are accurate. But I found it charming regardless. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a simple-ish um, line style, like more along the cartoony, cartoony, you know, less details, less is more type of thing, but totally gets everything across. Is it a mini comic? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of how big it actually is. It's uh, maybe three quarters the size. Okay. And I guess someone would say this is this is black and white, but there is blue. So, <laughs> I mean, retailers would effectively just treat it as the same thing. Nice, but nice. It, it turns it turns more into um, like people. Like crimes are being committed, people are stealing the meat, and then, it, it, <laughs> like totally like regular normal thing, people are cashing in or whatever. People are gonna eat this, whatever, whatever, and then all then all of a sudden, this bam, like totally into adult comic land, and people are naked. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like that that just struck me as funny too. That's indie. Yeah, you get into this this whole more people want to get paid, people want to eat, this whole thing. It's pretty exciting, I think. Did pretty, it wrap pretty, up, or is this like part? Did it feel like part three, and it's going on, or is this its own standalone? No, no I think this is this is a whole. I think they're all every volume is probably a complete story type of thing because this this wraps up adequately and. Uh, and everything, and it keeps on ramping up, and there, like there's more and more craziness. I think that's that's going on. But thoroughly enjoyed it. So, I, I mean, score one for the TCAP all because <laughs> this is the type of thing that I would pick up and be like, "Yeah, that was awesome." I want to read more stuff like that. Nice. We haven't gotten a book from Phil, have we? Uh, uh nope, because Phil don't have a book. Oh, today. Sorry. All right, let me ex- uh, extend a book on your behalf. All right. You like James Stokoe? I love him actually. So he's got a like kung fu epic comic coming out right now. And it needs to actually come out finally. It did. Orphan <laughs> and the Five Beasts number three from Dark Horse just came out in now november of 2021 seven months after the first two issues i mean i don't really know what the problem is so i i think like maybe something like like i don't know yeah i mean he writes it draws it scripts it colors it letters it the whole deal so but it it was it's a one-man band like it's not the only title like that's happened to with like creators at dark horse so i just it was just interesting that one and two came so 
like hot in the heels of each other. And then at some point I just started going to the Dark Horse site going, is this book canceled? Like, do they have an updated date? And they did have an updated date. And I'm like, wow, it finally came out. Uh, I can't remember at all what happened in issues one and two yeah. and who the characters are or anything like that. But I, it's Stoko, right? So I just picked it up and started reading it and totally just, I mean, you know, of course the artwork is really lush and colorful and detailed and everything. Yeah. And I just hope the shop hat still has it on my poll list and they remember to order it if, if, you know, sometimes I cancel the orders and re, will re solicit or whatever. Like I just hope that. It, it all goes through. I just think like most of his works, this is going to be a great collection. Oh, yeah. It's oh, done. yeah. In, in this issue, a band of rogues travels to this city and discovers kind of like a Soylent Green kind of thing happening at this restaurant. But it's, there's a dark supernatural twist to it that's really grotesque and wild and makes me think of the meat Kevin was just talking about a minute ago. <laughs> but the issue ends with a cliffhanger as like the last survivor the boss of this group of rogues faces off with the big bad, you know, next ish, if it ever comes out. But fun. Stoko. Yeah, I think covered the first issue if Andrew's going to put that in the show notes. Well, he's going to have a lot of research this episode. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it always makes it fun for Andy. Well, sometimes I've been having trouble finding references because i think i mentioned this my next book before but i'm not sure and i couldn't find it in the shows but there's a chance i might have mentioned it on the other show oh no dun, dun, dun. that's marvel noise folks for those of you who don't know of everything you want to know from the house of mouse <laughs> dope but including the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> that's right wow well, thanks to the fox acquisition what I want to talk about is, as usual, the show is costing me money. We have recently discovered discussed newspaper strips. So I went into cool. my back catalog and dusted off cool. Volume 1 and went and got landed Volume 2 and 3 of the collected Star Wars comic strips. Wow. The Al Williamson stuff? Can we allow yeah. that on here? This, this ran from uh, 79 to 84. I do not recall these. It seems like most of the papers they ran might have been West Coast, because I know it was the LA Times Syndicate that was running it. I don't remember these from the newspaper of my youth. Oh, I do. So I have been, really been enjoying these collections. What I most like is the transition. It covers two of my favorite phases of Star Wars. I think I've discussed this before. I like that after the first movie, it was just anything goes. So (laughs) the tie-in media was really wacky and zany and just not so. So I finished the first two volumes, started on the third. So the first volume, the Star Wars stuff, is just the most outlandish, preposterous, almost Silver Age-esque as far as like, weird plot turns the characters are mostly kind of one-dimensional but so fun and nutty that i don't really care and i feel like anything went at that early stages and so it was interesting to i love that time and i love the work but then as we transition to the empire 
like you get a much more kind of nuanced and faithful. The idea that we're now going to make this like a cohesive universe. Where I'm not sure after the first one that they weren't just like, eh, whatever works, man. <laughs> you want a giant six-foot space rabbit? <laughs> you go ahead and do it. So what happens is so they have these first crazy um, series of newspaper strips. Like I said, that's uh, you know, Russ Manning started all these kind of much more different in visual appeal and storytelling. And then most of it, as uh, Steve hinted, is Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson. Now, they that's do point insane. out that Carlos Garzon, Brent Anderson, Tom Yates, there were people assisting on it, but it's credited to those two. And there, like I said, it makes this shift to be like much more nuance or adapting things like some of the plots involve multiple stages and not just weird like I love the first one they um the guy running the Death Star was character actor Peter Cushing played a character uh Graham Moff Tarkin so they introduce his wife as a character <laughs> it's just a lot of zany fun and in the uh intro they talked about after the first weird bits, they got to see Empire, and uh, and so they were able to end up keeping it a bit more on target. What they did not know is that Luke and Leia were going to be brother and sister. So there's a lot of kind of icky, like, pining at, you know, he's pining <laughs> at her and all that. Or maybe not icky. Hey, I don't want to kink shame. Whatever works for you guys. So it's, it's um, but man. Boy, Al Williamson and the team, like their ability to render the Star Wars tech yep. is second to none. Darth Vader always looks great. The characters are, br- the human characters brilliant, not always perfectly on model, but perfectly you can tell who they are. Now, the other thing that's incredible along with the tech is the fabrics. And I feel yes. like this is more of a hallmark of your newspaper strip because of the less size. They really go into detail. It's just crazy. These are reproduced, I'm guessing, at actual size because they look about what a newspaper strip used to look like. Obviously, now they're a lot smaller. So your basic two to three panel grid, depending on how much detail, and then a color Sunday strip that's sort of kind of summarizes it's not reprinting but it's basically summarizing from a different kind of angle what happened and i'll be honest with you generally i much prefer the black and white everything comes through like i said everyone's always yeah i don't like the color yeah the color ones don't end up that's on the newspaper i find just al williamson's art in general i prefer in black and white because he's just such a master of the brush yeah, so it's re- I mean, there are a few. There was a Rebel Celebration that I really liked that was one of the color ones, but generally the other ones. And it's just amazing. Like I said, and not to n- knock away from the Russ Manning and the earlier stuff, which I love, which is a much different style, but it just it fit the storytelling kind of to have that wild and crazy one. And then this is the more grounded. And they adapt one of the novels as part of it. Uh, to be honest, I read a couple of the novels, but really the spin-off Star Wars stuff for me was the comic books from Marvel 
and then like these newspaper strips. I heard the radio adaptations of the Star Wars movies, <laughs> which were based on the longer strips. But I'm not like a Star Wars guy that, you know, has, you know, Bosk tattooed on his back or anything like that. Like, well, I like when stuff. we were when we were kids. Didn't you read the Splinter of the Mind's Eye though? Yeah, because it was, was like one. the only other thing in the whole Star Wars universe to read besides the movie. <laughs> yeah. I read that, read the novelizations, but mostly it was the comics I got into from Marvel. Sure. Right. And uh, even in the comics reflected that after Empire, they got a bit more serious. But as the notes here talk about, as they, there's a real, you know, because it ends on a cliffhanger, it creates a problem story-wise. You don't have one of the key characters he's lost, so they spend their time looking for him or whatever. So these strips end with the beginning of Empire. So it's just like the stories between Star Wars and Empire is what it morphed into. Aside from those first wacky strips, which I love. But anyways, this is the ID. There were earlier reprints, but IDW put this out in three volumes. You can get them in cheap. <laughs> like, they're not, as near as I can tell, they're not in super high demand. So you can still get them. I would not be paying a premium. For, I don't know, maybe something's happened but certainly this last one i got volume three for very cheap um i don't know if it, you know it's hard to tell like it seems like with these reprints they're either giving them away or like cost eight times the cover i don't understand that market yeah, especially that art those archival collections of strips you know sometimes they're yeah, you know, uh, it's a 200 dollar collection of carl barks's duck tales or it's you know <laughs> And by DuckTales, I don't mean DuckTales the show. My God, I don't want Don Rosa to jump out of my eh. iPhone and strangle <laughs> me. But, yeah, I mean, I personally blame Kevin. I think he's arbitraging the collection market for his sales at the shows. But I was able to get these good. And what's the only thing that's weird, too, is the, uh, the dust jackets are the same as the cover, which always makes me a little sad. I like when they put a different cover for some yeah. reason. Because I take off, I leave the dust jacket on when they're on the shelf. But when I'm reading it, I take it off. And they have the little ribbons, which I love, which make me feel like I'm fancy to keep my place, you know. Even though, what does that cost the extra printing? Like a dime or something. But it's totally worth it. If I was running a printing company, I would totally have all my collections have the little ribbons for your bookmark. But anyways. <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, weird. If you like that era... If you like Al Williamson, if you like the more serious stuff, you can probably just start with volumes two and three. I like the whole run. Like I said, the Russ Manning and all that other stuff is fun. It's different, but it's fun to see it sort of shift in tone all of a sudden. I don't do a lot of newspaper strips, but this one, Wonder Woman and Popeye are the ones that jump to mind. Wow. Yeah, my wife was like, why do you like Popeye and G.I. Joe? Because I had two big clubs. <laughs> they don't seem very connected. And I'm like, hey, it's all the military thing. Popeye's in the Navy. G.I. Joe's. Popeye? It could be a G.I. Joe. Yeah, why not? I mean, they had some weird characters in the G.I. Joe. Hey, does it get any weirder than Poop Deck Pappy, though? Come on. <laughs> I don't think they could have. I think Popeye would just annihilate Cobra. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. He had real threats to deal with, like the Sea Hag. Yeah. 
and Alice. The she Goon. was scary. She freaked me out as a kid. Some of those those black and white early ones with the sea hag. Yeah, she's creepy. I liked. Uh, I always liked Eugene the Jeep. You know what I never noticed until now? There's a lot of barcodes on these purportedly indie comics and mini comics. It's an like, industry. I, I'm sure at one point, like everything, it's like e- just easier if everyone just accepts that barcodes need to go on everything now. But I'm ne- and I don't know if it's because like they did everything online that so many of these got barcodes so they could just scan it off or whatever. But I've never seen or noticed so many barcodes before, like on some random mini comic. Like it's 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 insane. Yeah, maybe you buy really, buy you know, like five hundred barcodes in bulk for like two bucks or something. I don't know. Here in the direct market, we don't need barcodes. We just put a little Spider Man right where the box where the little barcode should be. <laughs> or if you're lucky, a little John Byrne Captain America head. Uh, it's Indy Steve. They put a spawn there. Can't yeah, that just indie. a blank box that says direct edition? Shouldn't so, it be have a guy like Showing his middle finger is the is the thing in the box. It, it has a dog peeing, Kevin. Yep. A little, <laughs> oh, zip, a little zippy the pinhead standing in a corner. <laughs> well, that's Mickey Mouse pissing in the corner. That's in the box. Oh, here we go. We're, <laughs> we're spiraling downward, Andrew. Yeah, you can't have Mickey Mouse peeing. That's a Disney property, Kevin. No, it, it you see it looks like him, but it doesn't look like him. You just filed the serial numbers off of it. <laughs> like the best indie comics. Clearly, if it was Mickey Mouse, there would be barcodes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there would certainly be a barcode over part of his body, so you wouldn't be able to see anything. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I read one more thing. Oh, did you? Sock Let's hear me. Uh, this is a... Uh, one of the one of those classic uh, go to a spa, go to a vacation. Uh, it's going to be a, great. The AI will take care of all your needs. Uh, they'll they'll give you an assessment. Uh, they'll check if you are feeling happy, or if the water is too cold, the water is too warm. Um, they'll they'll make everything great, and uh, they have like a little satisfaction meter type of thing. And then the robot's like, "Oh, I got a." Fix the situation if you're not happy, right? Is it a sex robot also? Uh, maybe, but <laughs> considering what happens in here, um, you wouldn't want that kind of robot. Sounds like a lot of automation in this episode. We're all getting replaced by robots. Yeah, as soon as Steve's mentioned the AI, I'm like, oh, what, what, what kind of uh, conceptual continuity we're going to have this episode? <laughs> So th- this one is about uh, almost the same size as the Woolly Mammoth um, transmissions one. I think it's a little, little wider, little maybe a little shorter. No, it's about the same. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, this one's um, has, it looks like some blood is splattered all over the book. And it has like beta stamped on it. Give us the name in the credits, Kevin. I'm going to have to look um, this thing up. Yeah, that that might be important, right? I'm going to say this is called uh, All-Inclusive Fully Automated Vacation. 
You don't and have then, a lot of confidence in the name of that book. Well, the <laughs> two of the names are in banners, so the name could be fully automated. That could be the title. Or it could be also the tagline, the all-inclusive vacation. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know what it said on the website either. I mean, maybe when you look it up for the show notes, you can tell me what the actual title is. He doesn't have time for that. Just call it a wacky vacation or something. I'm just going to pick some image book and link to that instead. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, the the creators are uh, Siobhan Hode and um, Jillian Leckenhorst, maybe? Wow, you're really leaving me to hang out. You don't have the title of the book or the creators. I mean, if you rewind the tape, I'm sure you'll find the creators and run that through another AI algorithm and it'll figure out what I said. All right, so we have our futuristic world. Yeah. Oh, it it does say reprint 2018, which is funny because uh, the AI thing, it says it's called Emmy, like E-M-I, like maybe like the music company, or as in Metroid Dread, uh, if you add another M, that's the mysterious robot thing that doesn't like you and chases you around. So there was no way I couldn't look at that and not think of that crazy robotic thing from that game that just came out. So uh, that's kind of (laughs) weird. An added sense of dread. Not to judge variety. So, yeah, they have uh, two people here that also seem to be um, possibly in love with each other. Maybe maybe cheating on someone uh, or maybe just paranoid. Uh, But they're in this control room and they're supposed to be like monitoring uh, the AI. You know, make sure that uh, because they have cameras on people and stuff like that, make sure everything goes all right. So that, like, if if someone's feeling, uh, like, cool in the pool, that it's actually warming the temperature or doing what it's supposed to, right? But then some of the cameras start malfunctioning, and, um, yeah, things start going uh, not the way they're supposed to. People start a a horror comic. I would say so, or or something like, uh, you remember when Newman was in Jurassic Park? I saw that. Like, I also think it's something like that, where something just starts going wrong. And then they, like, go to check on uh, one of the people, and it's like, like, this one guy was really into eating, and then he he's like, oh, all this food. But then he gets sort of sucked through this machine. So once they find out something's going wrong, they're like, oh, man, like, we gotta, we gotta shut this thing down. But the and, machine doesn't uh, want to get shut down, I take it. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any blinking red light, but, uh, yeah, like, it just escalates into uh, more paranoia and and more people uh, freaking out. What are you doing, Dave? (laughs) Exactly. And and, and Steve, your your thing is a giant red circle. So uh, when you talk, it shows up. I don't know if I should uh, be concerned about that. Xavier is in the circle, though, so... Not that he's the, like the the paragon of, of virtue and, and everything. To me, my X-Men. 
Is this comic a one and done, or do you have to wait two years to get another one? I think it's a one and done. I mean, you you could extrapolate, I'm sure, more stories out of this, or do another site, or other things in this society, but this is pretty much a one and done. And it's like one of those... Um, it's more graphics oriented. Like it's it's not everything's not like all like straightforward and just drawn out. It looks like more it's more shapely. Like like it might I'm not sure if it like if you would do it on the computer, but it, it very much feels like like you could have and just like like everything's more like cubist and everything. And this one, I guess you could say, is full color. Although there's not a lot of colors, but like there's like purples, uh, pinks, you know, green and black for like computer screens and everything. Cool. But you think it's you like the? Do you like the other one more, or you like this one too? Um, I mean, the other one is definitely longer. Like this is this is a shorter story, but I, I think they're both good in their own way thing. Yeah. Kevin's given trophies to everyone. I think so. And it's funny, it says something about, like, a, this is the friendship edition, and then it says, or this person says that, that they draw comics for the drawing. That This is literally the credits where it says writing, and then it shows the person's name, drawing, and then it says, I draws comics in a gang called the Friendship Edition. And I'm like, I think I've heard of this before. And then I'm like, I think I might have something else in my pile called Friendship Edition or something similar. So I'm wondering if they're also in there. And, and then it says they're also part of a slightly smaller gang called the Unfathomable Siblinghood. Are they going to be your new study group? Maybe. I, I've noticed other places bring up study group lately. And I was just like, wait, that's my thing. Wasn't it? <laughs> Roll back the tape. Well, Kevin, you're the most indie of them all. Okay, well, we're hitting the golden hour. Uh, would, would anyone have anything else before we wrap this bu- puppy up? You you remember that Asterios uh, graphic novel? Yeah, Asterios Polyp from David yeah, Kelly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know how I get about about literary indie comics sometimes, right? Where I'm like, I'll like, oh, these are too smart for me, or I'm too stupid, or <laughs> like I read them, and then and, and I go, oh, this is this. It only ever gets a seven out of ten. Meanwhile, everyone's like, ten out of ten, man, this is so great. And then I get rid of them or whatever, and then you're I, more indie than that. <laughs> I know I'm so indie. I'm just like these these big literary books are too popular. I'm like, what if, did it if win a Harvey? Cares about Forget. you? You're not really indie. <laughs> I don't read anything if it's won a Harvey Award. Exactly, especially not those those Ignatz awards. <laughs> so is through the direction, I guess I should say, of um, Cartoonist Kayfabe, I, I, I re-examined um, that book, and uh, I think it's much better than I gave it credit for when I originally read it. Oh, cool. Like, there's a lot of different things going on with the different art styles and the storytelling, and I'm like, I don't know what I was grooving on at that time, but uh, I don't think I gave it enough credit back then. So that was cool. 
you know. Yeah, I did not. I enjoyed the book, liked it, but it wasn't like my most favorite book ever. But I thought it was, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, like I don't think I'm. I would go re-examine blankets and find, oh my god, this is a masterpiece now. Like yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, he could have used a few more in the margin gag strips in it, you know. <laughs> he he could have put stories on the front cover and the back cover, and then and then had all these extra things written around, and then you follow like around in between the panels all the extra yeah. writing, and there's another story that there. Yeah, and then when you flip it. Like it, the characters are like little animations. <laughs> sure, sure. And then there's a barcode and you scan it and an NFT pops out. Well, when the NFT talk happens, that's when it's time to put a bow on it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Kevin, are you still sending us out? I am. Drunk. The last Nost City. Needs that vaccine. (laughs) Or at least some boosters. Thanks, everybody. Later.